Hello and welcome back to Guess in My Basket, joined by myself, Ollie and Jamie. How are you, sir? I'm good. Is there a stain on your jumper, lad? What's that? No, it used to be a badge, lad. Ah. Uh, See, it's quite a good... Uh, a heated wash has removed that. Yes. Well, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Good. Is it, is it fair to say that we should probably talk about how this might not be our first time recording? This is attempt number two, because Sam, at the creative team at 303, he doesn't do on client shoots, but he does on our shoots. He uh, didn't give us a strong enough battery. So um, we've recorded this yesterday, which was Tuesday. It's now Wednesday. Um, it's also early in the morning, so it's a little bit sleepy eye. Raining. Raining. Again. Again. Um, yeah, it's it's going well. Vibes are high. Vibes are high. And we've also got to record another one in two days' time. Yep. Well, let's get straight into it. Um, as always, this is the podcast that expands upon the newsletter, which we sent out every Friday at three months past three. You can sign up for Getting My Basket at 303.london. Um, it's filled with hopefully useful and juicy information from the world of digital marketing for DTC Tips brands. And tricks. Tips and tricks. Um, and there's two sections of that podcast, the podcast, two sections of that newsletter, which we like to do a bit more of a deep dive in, which is what is hot and bulk of my basket. What is hot is where we talk about some of the best brands that we think are doing great things in this space. And bulk of the basket is a topic that we select every single week. We do a bit of analysis on, we talk about it. And we hopefully give you some advice and, and support that might be useful for you. So this week, should we go straight into it? Yeah. It's Nothing to report? No. We've signed two new clients. There's two new clients. The we, week, yes. Which is very pleasing. One's not in the UK as well. Yeah. International business. World, worldwide things. Where? Canada. Canada. Well, yeah. US. Marketing to the US, but from Vancouver. Obviously, we market already around the world, but it's nice to have someone based not in the UK. Mm. Exciting. Um, apart from that, it seems like it's all go, go, go here. Busy. We both look very tired. I don't know why. I literally couldn't bring myself to actually remove myself from what I call my basket. Yes. Sorry. Your basket is referred to as your bed, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, good. Well, let's get into the, the, the what's hot topic, which this week is an amazing little brand that I think you introduced me to called mm. Spoke. Yep. And Spoke a little not bit. Not that little anymore, I don't think. No, not that, not that little at all, actually. Um, but Spoke are a bespoke originally trouser brand, right? Mm. Um, they've obviously now branched into many things, but we wanted to highlight them on the podcast this week purely because I think they're doing a lot of good stuff when it comes to communicating the brand. Mm. Um, what do you think of Spoke, firstly? I've always liked them. I've, I think um, we've always been big, fra- well, big fans between us, but I think before that, um, with clothes, I always really liked kind of like any bespoke... Um, bespoke clothing that was like a bit different mm. um and then i guess from a sizing perspective yep. there were there was like a bit of a an emergence of a few brands that would do these sort of pretty quick online surveys that would spit out like perfect fitting t-shirts mm. or trousers or whatever it would be where you'd put in a few stats about your about you and then yep. you would have a perfect pair of trousers arrive in the post um so i i think i came about them through Ed Foy from Press. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did like a, a feature with them of mm-hmm. sorts. Yep. Um, and yeah, we did something with them whilst I was at Press. And then, um, and then yeah, I I think I got a pair probably three or four years ago. Um, but then, yeah, a bunch of people I know have loads of them. Um, and the thing I love about them over and above the bespokeness is they do this kind of, kind of similar to like Lululemon and a load of other th- of those brands where it's very like functional clothes that don't look that functional. Yeah. Um, it looks smarter and yeah it's kind of like tracksuit levels of comfort but look like 
smart enough trousers that you could walk into a meeting to. Yeah. I bike around the place a lot, so very useful from that regard. They're really stretchy and mm-hmm. um, breathable and whatever. So yeah, very cool, very cool brand, good product. And then epic, yeah, comms and user experience. Yeah, and I think on the comms is, is what we highlighted in the newsletter is that it's very easy. And I think it's not just bespoke businesses, whether, you know, there's a lot of bespoke brands now that build a product bespoke to their audience. Some are a lot more bespoke than others, let's say. But um, <clears throat> I think what Spoke are doing very well is making sure that although, you know, the team behind them, they know everything about the business, they know what the product offering is, really communicating how bespoke that you actually are. I think a lot of brands get wrong and they always think that the audience will, you know, latch onto that very quickly. And I think what Spoke do very nicely is all of their creative on social ads or on any on any any online platforms. They're really making sure that they get making it super clear what the product is. I've never really seen creatives that are like, you know, trying to match a ASOS replica or they're trying to match a, you know, more mainstream offering. Mm. They're always leading with their USPs. And it sounds silly because you would think that everyone always does that, but they really don't. Mm. Um, especially from, you know, what we've seen and and um, especially in some of the spaces we worked in it's really easy to fall into the trap of working on a brand so much, whether your agency side or your brand side and thinking, Oh, you know, the audience will know what that means. They, they yeah. must've been to the website. Even if we're retargeting, they probably know what the product is. We don't have to reiterate that. Actually a lot of the time you do, right? Yeah. It's, it's a common thing where you really have to reinforce what you're yeah. offering. Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen Spoke, do go check them out. Um, an amazing little brand doing lots of good things. Also check out their ad library. If you don't know what ad library is, head over to uh, just type in ad library to Google and you'll go to Meta's ad library where you can search Spoke and you can see their ads and you can see the kind of things they create. Um, particularly if you're in the bespoke industry, I guess it's an industry in itself. Um, go yeah, and have I a guess look. any any like customizable, personalizable bespoke goods, mm. whether you be in food, whether you be in fashion, whether yeah. you be in accessories, whatever it might be, I think it's like the way in which they communicate that, that, whole like user experience i think that's the thing that's so great about it yeah like we've uh, one of our clients fresh fitness foods kind of similar in the way that you interact with the brand that you obviously get targeted with something that's mm. very celebrative of the fact that you're unique therefore what you should buy yeah is all should also be unique type thing but then the user experience is like just pretty be- quick easy survey yeah that then spits out a product that's fundamentally better mm. um so yeah definitely worth checking out awesome well, let's move into the main, main bulk of the basket, um, which is actually something you wrote a thesis on. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Back in day? Back in day, lad. Well, this, I mean, last week we spoke about whitelisting. This week we want to speak about something very similar to that, which is UGC, user-generated content versus professionally shot content, um, particularly using it within advertising and particularly obviously with digital. Um, you know, I think we do briefly touch and talk about some of the TV applications here, particularly during COVID. Yeah. Um, and we actually spoke that on version one of this podcast, which I've never heard. Um, but why don't you kick us off with um, what is better when it comes to, you know, blanket approach, no matter what the brand is, you're trying to advertise something DTC online. Should you focus on user-generated content from influencers, customers, um, you know, ambassadors, whatever it might be, maybe even brand side as well, iPhone filmed, very rushed, feels yep. organic, or should you chuckle your budget into shooting epic stuff like we do at 303, um, whether it be photo, graphics, videos, you know, high-end production level quality, what performs better? There's no short answer to that question. Yeah, here we go. Um, well, yeah, I guess my, my, yeah, it was literally my dissertation 
thesis, whatever you want to call it, was basically on this very thing, which was basically hypothesizing that what I, well, I had to call it snapshot aesthetic because that's like the, I guess, the academic term for user-generated content that's been mm. around for ages versus studio aesthetic. And my hypothesis was that snapshot aesthetic or UGC would be more effective um, for brands to use in feeling more authentic, more credible, more trustworthy, and a load of other things. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I basically did a huge kind of literary review and then a data um, collection um, that seek to basically prove that. Um, the, the, the whole concept of that has been around for absolutely ages, but I specifically did it in social for the kind of reason that we've spoken about last week with whitelisting. So it can be quite a like a strong sort of juxtaposition when you're scrolling through your feed, when you go like your content, mm. my content, although my content's pretty good. But <laughs> if, if it's like, you know, non, like we are bad examples because we've probably quite often posted stuff with, which has been shot with a, an expensive camera and yeah. been edited. But, you know, your mate one, mate two, mate three, then you get hit with a Dior post that's like ultra retouched studio lit really obviously heavily edited studio shot hard selling yeah exactly in our definition of ugc versus pro pro um that juxtaposition is very like stark and Mm. it's quite off-putting and again like kind of psychologically for from a kind of consumer behavior point in theory what's what happens there is that they get alienated by that post and they won't engage with it they wouldn't convert off it and all that sort of stuff so Again, my hypothesis was that brands should use snapshot aesthetic or UGC to then, you know, basically eliminate that sort of juxtaposition and that sort of, oh my God, what the hell is that post? Yeah. You sort of assimilate into the wider social media kind of um, aesthetic. So I did all that work and all of that stuff and then ended up having to accept that actually it's a blend of the two, (laughs) which is the right answer to the question. Um, There isn't just... And I don't, I, like, again, like we spoke about it in, in V1 of this, but I, I still think a blend is key. And it's, oh, I, I was about to say, and it's and it's obvious where the, the UGC needs to sit versus the pro, but I think that's probably unfair to say, but it's definitely becoming more clear. And that is to say that, like, product photography, yeah. i.e. the stuff at the stuff at the kind of bottom of the funnel Mm -hmm. like come and convert with us like we've already sold you the fact that we're authentic and we're trustworthy and we're credible and that we're associated with this influencer that ambassador um we're rated by this many people whatever it might be the end result is they just need a like a beautiful product image that shows them all of the details and all of the sort of key bits and info of the product Mm. um so that in my view, and I think our view collectively as an agency for all of our clients is that product photography that sits on the website and it might sit in some conversion ads as well, especially within retargeting, yeah. needs to be beautifully shot and very, very high quality. However, the top funnel stuff, as we spoke about last week, whitelisting, i.e. running ads through an influencer's account instead of your own, that is potentially a place where you could really make headway with UGC as opposed to the studio stuff. And again, going back to the... Um, the thing that I was trying to prove, you would el- eliminate that sort of like stark moment where people were like, what the hell is that? That's not, mm. you know, an Instagram post that mm. looks like a TV ad or whatever. Mm. So just just touching on um, a couple of things there. The first thing I guess is you, you just mentioned TV and I think everyone remembers the early COVID ads. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is not advertising for COVID or, you know, vaccines or anything like that. 
I think the biggest one that I remember is Davina McCall when she had, I think she's related to one of the hair brands, um, L'Oreal maybe. And there was a lot of ads on TV, which were clearly, you know, shot at home UGC ads because you, you know, production was shut down for eight weeks, I think in total, mm. maybe 12. Um, but what I, what I found interesting by that is that on TV and, and for those that don't know brands like Sky, who can do a lot of targeting in Sky Ad Smart using the Q box or the Sky Glass and there's other variations as well. You know, there's a new form of advertising that isn't just whack it on a channel at a certain time. There is now whack it on a channel at a certain location, geo-targeted yeah. to the right household because you can get that information. You know, digital uh, TV advertising is really evolving and changing to catch up with what digital can do. But in COVID, there was a lot of like UGC ads in yeah. theory being used and obviously used, like I've got a Sky Q box, for example, but in my bedroom versus my sitting room in my flat, if I watch the same channel, the ads are different yeah. because that's how Sky works. They've got a box, they know everything about me, they know my income, they know how many people in the house, all that sort of stuff. So I don't know why they were running Davina McCall ads to me, but that's a topic for another time. Who knows? Could be trying to sell you something. Exactly. Um, but, you know, what I think is super interesting is now we're out of, you know, not necessarily the pandemic, but lockdowns and, and those restrictions seem like they're very much in the distant and hopefully not coming back anytime soon. They're not continuing with those UGC ads on TV. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, I think it comes back to a big kind of philosophy we have with all of our clients here is that before we shoot anything, we mm. understand why it's being shot, i.e. Yeah. the objective of the, the video or the photo or whatever, and more importantly, where it's going. Mm. I think that's the key thing now. So on TV, if you're watching whatever, an episode of The Apprentice and you get suddenly- No ads on that. There's no ads on, uh, on BBC. No, no, iPlayer, no. Try love. Let's go for something else. Love Island. I'm just going to say example because it is quite user Jenny. <laughs> let's go for something completely like like Peaky Blinders. Let's say that there were ads on that okay. and there's no BBC. <laughs> uh, hopefully the TV license is going soon anyway because I've just had to pay it. So um, but say you're watching an episode of Peaky Blinders, like multi, multi, multi million pound um, production. Yeah. You're going from like a... 20, well, whatever it is, a 15-minute segment of a TV series into ads. Mm -hmm. And those ads, nine times out of 10, and again, the, the one time out of 10 has only really been in the last 18 months because of COVID. Yeah. They're really highly produced ads. And yeah. that's because they're sat next to highly produced content. Yeah. And there's no, again, there's no, none of this sort of like alienation or like the juxtaposition I was speaking about where you go from like high quality to low quality. That would be a bit like, why the hell is this low quality? Mm. Um, so what, what I would say is that TV... You should because it's highly produced. You should match a highly produced ad. Social, yeah, vice versa. Like some content on social is very highly produced. Fair enough, but some of it, or, or the majority of it, is users. It's users exactly. posting stuff. Yeah, um, and if that's your mate on holiday in Tenerife, and then some brand coming in with a really highly produced ad, like clearly there is that juxtaposition that exists. Mm. So the the sort of question arises and this like there's other examples maybe even youtube like youtube content is generally more highly produced so the ads are more highly produced yeah tiktok is so stripped back and ugc oriented that the ads have to be that yeah we've done so much testing um on this for one of our clients collecting cars whose um tiktok account's growing absolutely rapidly we were doing kind of like super cuts of some of their really highly produced content. Mm. Um, and that content just literally will not work mm. on TikTok in comparison to 
Hector wandering around with his iPhone yeah, doing some yeah. stupid sound trend and like yeah. whatever, that will get views. The other one won't. Yeah, and you've got to play to the platform. You've got to play to the platform, exactly and, and with COVID, I guess that was all they could do on playing to the platform and they realised actually now we're out of COVID because there's, you know, there were so many studies on what was deemed acceptable in advertising during COVID. Like people, you know, I think if people had seen ads and to be fair, even now you do sometimes get ads that have shot before March 2020, which is the classic yeah, yeah, yeah. line on the bottom of them. Um, not as many anymore because I think we're obviously out of lockdown so there's a lot more flex there but yeah it, it's super interesting in TV but let's go back to I guess digital which is more our bread and butter you were talking about a blend of UGC and pro and that's more when it comes to two forms really you've either got the video side where iPhone videos of reviews whatever it might be blended with mm. pro footage or you've got you know iPhone like iPhone is in Apple's the only phone, but phone imagery that's then had graphic yeah. treatment put onto it or whatever it might be from a stills perspective. Do you think blends is a good starting strategy or do you think that's a bit more evolved in, in a wider paid approach? Yeah, so I, again, I think it's a bit platform dependent, like tick, putting TikTok to the side because it's the easiest to deal with. Yeah. There's no place for pro content on TikTok, really. It has to be platform appropriate in yeah. the sense of like it has to be trend-led it has to be kind of underproduced let's say like mm. a bit stripped back in terms of the production yeah for sure i think the only the only one i would say on on the other side of that which i've been seeing a lot on tiktok is you know when you open the app and you're the first yes. ad yeah, yeah, yeah that seems like it's performs well if it's pro because it's almost an intro to platform but yeah. as soon as you're in feed it seems like you have to you know well we know it's really like ugc orientated yeah. but those, those that opening, opening ad those opening things are quite interesting because yeah there's definitely an element of those that are much more highly produced they normally come in with some level of like ugc yeah. though yeah again, sure I don't think but i also i'm platforms. only i'm only really seeing big players on that i've seen loads of ebay on there um i get targeted with just like games like I think Candy Crush and like Sega yeah, and yeah. people like this were doing them. Yeah, but um, it seems like, I mean, that space is obviously very expensive. Literally, in my entire existence, never gamed. Never. Crash Bandicoot, Wrath of the Vortex and PS2. It was my last, that was my last day for gaming. Mm. Um, but otherwise, no. So I think TikTok kind of putting that aside, I guess like to use an example of what we're talking about, like, and what, so generally speaking, UGC or like strip back, snapshot, whatever you want to call it, aesthetic I would use for top and mid funnel. Yeah. And like to give an idea of it, for like top funnel ads, if you were running like a brand ad that was saying like, you know, we're this, we're that, we're better than all these, it's a no brainer, like mm -hmm. those sorts of claims mm -hmm. are, and then a very highly polished ad is, you know, that's one, that's, let's say that's approach one. Yeah. And then the second approach was, you know, a brand ambassador or an influencer or even just a user, like selfie cam, like going like, I've been using this for X weeks. It's just changed the game for me. It's so much easier. I've saved so much time. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's, if it's like, you know, some of our clients like really changed my lifestyle, lost weight, like getting yeah. muscle, so much comfier to cycle in, you know, all of these sorts of things coming out of the mouth of any human, even if it was the CEO of the brand to yeah. some degree, like who is obviously completely biased or an influencer being paid. Yeah. Like it is just more authentic seeming. Yeah. So from a top funnel perspective, and like, as, as we said last week, that could be whitelisted or it could even be through the, the brand page, but that is just a good idea. Like we see it across all, all of the our time, clients. Yeah. Um, I think there was one ad, um, that, that was being used for fresh fitness food that was like a you know one of their UGC ambassadors base, yeah. user just literally doing that 
like been on been on the service for a few weeks now feel awesome such delicious meals like so time saving etc mm-hmm. versus you know again like brand really reinforcing you know, it yeah yeah i think and and to be fair maybe i would even say for a brand like ff like it's good to have a blend of the two at the top funnel but that you know in in the simplest terms approach one is very very hard to seem authentic and trustworthy yeah. approach two is much easier so i'd definitely say that there especially within the meta um kind of universe or whatever you want to say i.e facebook instagram audience network etc the way that that platform now works is so automated and ai led that the kind of bottom funnel activity that we'll do which will be you know prospecting or remarketing generally speaking we'll we'll do huge amounts of automation there now and that content again like needs to be professional seeming mm-hmm. um, nine times out of ten it needs to feel branded to some degree so just white e-com can be a bit too flat yeah but like you know subtly designed assets that are in carousels that are dynamic and that will take you to specific product pages and all that sort of stuff and lends itself to the way that the algorithm now functions that is again just a good idea yeah um and we've tested that pretty extensively so to the degree that the blend is what we would generally recommend which it is mm-hmm. um and i guess that's why we've now set ourselves up as we have we've got people managing influencers for our clients and we've got creatives yeah. making very high quality assets trying to do it in tandem within a paid media strategy and to an extent within organic as well um is is the way so i'd i'd, I'd do it by the the funnel essentially and it sounds like there's like and obviously we always say this which is probably the most annoying thing for some people listening is that there isn't a blanket approach you can't no, even even if it was for a day and we got every single one of the accounts that we currently manage, which is, you know, a lot of accounts in some degree, if they were all using the same strategy of the type of creative they used at what parts of the funnel, yeah. the results would be completely different across the board. Yeah. There was no way to go right, you know, and I know you've mentioned it, but there's obviously caveats with all of it, but like, don't just use UGC at the top of funnel, you know, don't just then use really hard brand ads at the bottom, like, it's all about testing, right? And yeah. it still is that, that, like you're saying, there's a lot of automation within platform, which has become stronger through algorithms and through obviously the work that people like Meta are doing now. Mm. But testing seems like it's still at the forefront of the importance when it comes to what type of content to use. Totally, yeah. And I think you could like, you can think about it in like the, in extreme terms to illustrate the point you've just made. Like if you're a car brand, yeah, having some mucker walking around a forecourt going like, Oh, I just bought my car from here. Like that's probably not going to be a great idea, especially if you're a premium yeah, car yeah. dealer or service. You can't see way. Merck doing that anytime soon. You can't see Mercedes just having someone bat around there. But what car. you can see is Lewis Hamilton coming in and possibly doing an iPhone ad that they run yeah. and use. And then you'll often see them do like a tested one where he's in studio, pro camera, and they'll run the two against each other. Yeah, for sure. And I think- is A-B testing quite key here? When it comes well, yeah. to A-B-C-D-E like- A-B-C-D-E testing, I think like it, it get can, down get, to G it if can you want. get to that point. Um, but it is for sure. I think I think the point I'm making with like say Mercedes as an example, mm. like even Lewis Hamilton, like I question like who's our t- like let's say in very broad terms, Mercedes core audience I'd imagine is 35 to 55 year olds. Yeah, like are they going to be receptive to you know a young, good looking multi millionaire <laughs> banging mm. around a forecourt going like no brainer mm. or whatever he'd say. Mm maybe not would they be receptive to that commercial that they did for amg patronus yeah it was like super high-end ultra high energy like 
basically offering up an opportunity to buy a slither of the AMG experience mm. using F1 cars and yeah. the GTR thing that they're yeah, bringing yeah. out of um, and whatever else. Like, yes, I would say so. So that's that's kind of one end of the spectrum. But then at the other end, like if it's a you know FMCG brand that's you know flavor led or it's to do with weight loss or if it's to do with time save or if it's something like that, which is quite a simple USP for a person to communicate and that the product isn't that sort of prohibitively expensive, I guess. Mm. Um, and it doesn't need to be exuding like exuding luxury and premium feel throughout. Yeah. Like for sure, UGC is probably going to be more appropriate. Nice. So what's your, what's your biggest um, piece of advice when it comes to this topic in terms of after you've written your lovely thesis and after you've spent some time running an agency like this, what's the biggest takeaway you would say for someone who's really thinking about what, which way to go, you know, where to start or if they're in, they're already into testing both and they're not seeing results, whatever it might be. Is a, is a one key, key bit of info there? I think my key, my, my key tip would be to really, really think about the platform that you're actually going for. So, and, and again, like I think we've, like inevitably everyone's been guilty of this at some stage because the platforms have changed so much in the last mm. two years. There's new platforms. There's like YouTube, sh like short form video, which we do for a lot of our clients now, whether yeah. that be YouTube shorts, reels, TikTok, etc. Like the way in which you've got to come across as a brand on those is so heavily different to what you need to do for your YouTube advertising or yeah. whatever else. So even before you've begun the testing, I would say just really think about and look at what's working for other people because it's it's all very readily available. Yeah. Like have a look at what other people are doing and doing well mm. and then take note of that before you start going into it. Take note of where your audience are. Yeah. And then as we've sort of done over the last 6 to 12 months I guess, just take a quite funneled approach to where the content sits. Yeah. So again in my earlier example of you know small food brand go that wants to save people time like I don't know what it is breakfast on the go yeah like is a super high energy highly polished brand commercial that's you know going to sit on facebook like is that going to engage people mm. i'd argue unless it's an outstanding video probably not no if it's a friendly face and it doesn't have to be a famous face either a friendly face saying this has just been so great for me i've saved so much mm. time you know kids running around the kitchen the busy commute, the tubes yeah, yeah. annoying, whatever it might be. The right demographic in the just video to Just feeling a bit, yeah, yeah, exactly that. Just feeling a little bit kind of, um, whatever you want to call it, relatable. Mm. Like the relatability piece is really, really key there. So just think about that before, again, before you start testing. I think people are, and, and we are super, super quick to dismiss kind of subjectivities and say, yeah. let's rely on the data. But it's important to do enough research up front to make sure you're not just going to sure. bat in with testing that's going to waste budget essentially exactly well there you go that's your thesis in 20 minutes it was only eighteen thousand words <laughs> Eighteen thousand. goodness me well hopefully that was useful um hopefully that shed some light and obviously looking to expand on what we sent out in our newsletter Thank you very much for the amount of talking you did today. That was that was Busy. a lot. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, you should probably need it. Um, well, as always, thanks very much for coming on and, and doing the podcast. And um, thanks very much for listening and watching. If you're watching here on YouTube, please do subscribe to the channel. Um, if you're listening to us, please do subscribe or follow on whatever audio platform you are listening to. Um, and we'll be back again next week. And ver obviously, very finally... Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter, which is at 303.london. Um, you have a pop-up appear, enter your details there. It'll be in your inbox every single Friday. Jam, a pleasure. Have a lovely rest of your day, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. See you soon.